Hi, I'm Hillary Adler. I'm coming to you live from the Social Media Week conference at the Sheridan in New York City. I'm sitting here with John Chang, the uh, Director of Digital Marketing at Kickstarter. Welcome, John, and thanks for sitting down with me last minute. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. So we were just talking, we had a phenomenal conversation over old fashions, and you were telling me the origin story of Kickstarter. I can't believe that it got started in a diner in Williamsburg. Yeah, a couple of fun facts. Um, one, I think that it started in its uh, most authentic way. We have um, founders who are real experts and passionate about their artistics and creative fields. So um, Perry Chen, he was working at this diner called Diner in Williamsburg while um, Yancey Strickler was reporting for Pitchfork. And Yancey, when he was writing, would go to Diner for his meals and he met Perry and they kept talking about all this kind of stuff. So first of all, it's, it was a really authentic start, absolutely. And then a fun fact, if you want, our first investor was David Cross um, of uh, Arrested Development because during that time they were building the platform and Arrested Development was taken off air. So they contacted them being like, hey, hey, like we can like help you get back on air. And they're all like, clearly you don't understand how entertainment works, but we love the idea. So David Cross sent over um, one of the first investments um, to Kickstarter. It's, it really ended up being like just a whimsical, authentic story. I love it. And then when did Spike Lee get involved? I don't remember the exact year, but it was earlier in the um, it, it was earlier in our overall nine year history. And you said first investor. I thought that did you guys have how many investors did you? Have? I thought it was just the one. Well, we have one venture capitalist oh, okay. overall. Yeah, Fred Wilson. He's great. Union Square Ventures. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean he has such a hold on like really great companies in New York. But um, he's founder first. He really appreciates what we're doing, and um, he's been great for us. But he's the VC specifically. But by and large, Kickstarter is kind of outside of that sort of bootstrapped itself, right? In six, nine years, and nine years of profitability too, which is remarkable. Exactly, um, and part of it's the business model and our amazing um, community. We have all these people who were dying to find a way to support themselves creatively. Just like in 2009, for example, you have all these writers who um, were being laid off from, um, all these writers from being laid off from publishers and so forth. They needed to find a place to like continue their creative practice so Kickstarter helped them with that. And that's just one pocket of the community. So yeah, profitability is definitely hand in hand with um, the um, reach and size of our overall creator community, as well as maintaining that doesn't require that much overhead. Yeah. So we've been very lucky in all aspects there. I feel like we should stress the community part and the fact that Kickstarter is fundamentally a community platform, because I think a lot of people have confusions about what Kickstarter actually is. Absolutely. Um, when I do a lot of my talks, I ask people, do you know what PBC stands for? And it does stand for Public Benefit Corporation. And most people don't know that Kickstarter, a couple of years ago, we intentionally transitioned from a corporation to a public benefit corporation. For those of you who don't necessarily know what that means, um, is that we have a charter to benefit um, specific communities. For us, it's the creative community and arts community in that sense. So we're actually held accountable for the growth and sustainability of creative and artistic practice, um, which is really interesting for us because we're not just reporting on like how much money did this project get. We're trying to figure out, um, especially with um, this day and age and all the socio um, socioeconomic issues that we're facing as a country and as a world, 
are we progressing the narrative there and are we supporting activists and creators in those fields? So we were just talking about um, building community across divisive and cross borders, um, which I think is a fascinating topic to consider and something that, you know, going back to the whole community aspect of Kickstarter is paramount to your brand and your brand image. Um, how is Kickstarter building community across the varying consumer ideologies? especially right now when we're sitting in a time period that is so divisive. Yeah, absolutely. So and it really does go back to the PBC Charter where we are progressing the creative community. Um, and our community is two-sided. Um, it's a two-sided marketplace. We have people who create projects and then we have people who value those projects and want to back and pledge to them. Um, so that's the framework for, um, yes. So, so we use those two sides of the community to um, help progress the narrative across um, different issues that we're facing as a society and economically um, by making sure that um, the people who are trying to benefit the um, social issues have a place and technology to um, put that project out there. So it's kind of like a voice in the platform or enabling them, empowering them to do that. And then on the other side, that second half of the community, there are people who don't necessarily know how to make the biggest impact, especially with, with dollar value or using social media and different kinds of technology. So we bring and meld those two together. Um, so a big part of what I do and digital marketing as a whole at Kickstarter is making sure that these opportunities exist. One big thing that we've been experimenting with over the last year or so at Kickstarter is something that's called a creative prompt. Um, we are giving people a little better understanding and direction to start their own projects um, and to get involved with existing projects. So some of them that we're talking about are squarely within this idea where if, there, um, if we have pressing social issues like gun violence, like immigration, and so forth, are we effectively allowing creators to have a voice in starting projects to benefit that? Um, or aren't we? And I think that goes back to like, our PBC. We ought to give people the opportunity to do that because it has a large creative and cultural impact. And then it trickles down to all the people who want to be involved with it. Mm. Nice. And then going, digging a little deeper, how exactly is Kickstarter getting involved with the diversity march and with political activism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so one of the things I really loved about um, Yancey and our former GC, and this is stuff that um, McCall, um, what we were doing last year is our GC and our founder would regularly go to Capitol Hill and lobby for national endowments of the arts funding, uh, especially during a time when the overall amount of funding was being cut. Does <laughs> the NEA still exist? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So, I saw this tweet once, and it was like Donald Trump's um, nomination for NEA chair is Sylvester Stallone. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it, it makes me feel so sad. It makes my soul I wasn't feel sure sad. if that was real news or fake news. <laughs> feel that a lot, actually. That's why I mean, BuzzFeed has their quizzes are taking off in that sense. I mean, it's just it's it's really interesting to me to find one a GC that actually does stuff like that because like we still have a business to maintain first of all. So the CEO and the GC have a business to maintain, but also we are so enamored by pushing um, this agenda and progressing society that it's like it's a no-brainer. We ought to do this. This is in our best interest, and it's in the best interest of our community. 
Okay, so then let's talk more about the, we kind of got off on a tangent, but let's talk more about the, the NEA thing. Yeah. Um, so if you look at the change in economic status since Kickstarter started in 2009, of course there's ebbs and flows and um, peaks and troughs there. Um, and Kickstarter actually thrives in both of them, but where we make the largest social impact arguably is in those troughs. So one thing, 2009, um, during the recession, we had a bunch of um, people not being able to get money or being paid for their creative practice. So they needed a platform like Kickstarter and they needed us to give them a voice. And then now um, it's not necessarily writers not having jobs at like New York Times and so forth like that anymore, but we're um, finding pockets of oppression, we're finding pockets of minorities, pockets of people who are trying to make social change and still need that voice. So the community has, I wouldn't say the community has shifted, but um, we've found new opportunities for Kickstarter to make a large impact on society. And you can really plug in any single modern issue, and I bet that there has recently been a Kickstarter project on like about it. Um, one thing that we did a great push for um, earlier this year was the Dred Scott Slave Rebellion. Mm -hmm. um, I like using this as an example because we're not optimizing necessarily for revenue. This is a project that asked for something like $15,000, which wouldn't move the needle for most organizations, but it made a big social impact, and I'm all for that, and we are as an organization, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, you asked me an interesting question downstairs. You asked me, what do you think comes first, social impact or legislative impact? And so I'm, I'm going to boomerang that back to you. Which one do you think comes first? And which, how do you think the two relate to one another? Yeah, they are definitely related because, one, there are people who make the laws and then people who feel pressure to make the laws. <laughs> and they're definitely intertwined in that sense. I'm, I, really, I'm really confused over who is making the laws right now. Let's just be Yeah, a little real. bit. I think that <laughs> they need some more technology enthusiasts to like oh. fuel the conversations there. Mark, what are pipes? <laughs> yes, a little bit. Well, so <laughs> I, I'm just bullish on actually making um, le legislative impact, but also, and I think it's just because a lot of the social media reach around activism, activism um, has been dragged through the mud a little bit. And it goes back to ideas like the bubble feed, um, where you're just talking, you're preaching to the choir over and over and over again. So although the metrics we're looking at in terms of quantity of people reached, quantity of impressions and clicks and all that kind of stuff, it's almost superficial because um, you, are, you aren't extending the idea um, but you are pushing the message forward. So there's, there's inherent value there, but I would say, if you're going to measure social reach, you need to do it in a couple ways. One, are they the people who are, are you preaching to the choir? Um, and if so, you need to mobilize them. Um, we're, are, we're still seeing low voter um, turnout. Um, in Chicago, something like single-digit millennial turnout in the last election. I saw that. It made and that me was very recent. Sad. That's coming off the heels of like March for Our Lives and all of this youth activism. And I was exactly. like, what? That's long been the problem with the Democrats. They want to trump and or they want to trumpet the cause, but then they never want to show up. Well, I mean, quite frankly, it's like I like I I sometimes fall into that where I'm like I will like this, but I'm not going to go out of my way to do it right now, and it's because I have external factors, like I have work to do, I have yada yada yada. So I think that if we are going to measure reach among those people, then it's mobilization, and we need to have a heavier KPI. However, it, if it's reach among people who aren't um, currently within that choir then uh, I think it's an effective metric. However, 
in relationship to the uh, the bubble feed, one, you have to at least get on that radar and within that feed. And then secondly, there's contextual placement. It's going to be like Breitbart, 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 your message. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really tricky to put a lot of value into evangelism, like political evangelism in social media because um, we don't quite understand and we're not quite working with the algorithms as effectively as we should. And that's why I kind of like bucket it into the legislation. But if there isn't, I wouldn't, public outcry is hyperbole here, but if there isn't public pressure, then it's, I mean, we've seen legislation is harder to pass. Um, so I value both, but it's for Kickstarter, that's why we lobby as well as uh, make sure that the projects are like best represented there. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for your comments. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's incredibly important. Um, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm glad that we could spread more about Kickstarter to our audience. I think that I think that they'll find really like valuable valuable insights into your comments. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. So I value both, but it's for Kickstarter, that's why we lobby as well as uh, make sure that the projects are like best represented there. Well, thank you for your comments. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's incredibly important. Um, and I think that the community that you're building is, forget it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh my God. That's what day is it? <laughs> Well, Jen. You, you shouldn't edit this, by the way. This is great. This is gold. <laughs> uh, thanks for being here, John. It was a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm glad that we could spread more about Kickstarter to our audience. I think that I think that they'll find really like valuable valuable insights into your comments. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great.